Today's scripture reading is from the books of Acts. Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Acts sixteen eleven through 15. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women, women who were gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, Come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So we begin this message with a question. Why are we here today? Why are we connected on the live stream? Why do we worship And why is it such a regular thing? I mean, if God really loved us, would God ask us to wake up in the morning on a Sunday and deprive us of our one opportunity to sleep in or to watch football? Well, we continue in our series on the five essentials of our life together in the church. We're doing this intentionally at the beginning of a strategic mission process here at North Creek Presbyterian Church. But it is also grounding our Christian lives in the universally understood five essential aspects of the church's witness. And today we get to the fifth one. Not because it's the... the, uh, the least important, perhaps it's the most appropriate as a bookend, because the last is certainly not the least. But today we look at worship and prayer. The Greek word that is used here is liturgia, from which we get the English word liturgy. As a congregation, as we travel into the future, we need to prepare for worship. 
Liturgia, as a Greek word, was used secularly before it was used in a religious way. And it was a word that described public service. It was, literally it meant the work of serving the public or the society. So uh, if you, do we have any public servants here? Any fire, police, postal workers, uh, any, any public servants of any kind? How about teachers? Okay, that's where we major in the public service vein. So you're doing this for the good of individuals, and you're doing it for an income, but you're also doing it for the good of a society, right? You can say that our society is better off having schools that educate the population. So in a sense, that liturgy is what you are doing. Now, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, all of the, the priestly work described in the Old Testament given and offered to God in the temple worship, that was, the word liturgia was used to describe that. And so in the New Testament, it's one of the words that's used to describe Christian worship. And, and uh, the early church began to really connect with this concept, and that's why it's so common to encounter the word liturgy today as a description of the order of service in a worship service. The outline, if you will. It's the practical human side of the divine human encounter in worship. Now, like the other five essentials of proclamation, uh, of service, of teaching and learning, and of community or fellowship, we do this in the church because Jesus did it. It's part of our witness to Jesus. It's what Jesus did and taught. And when it comes to worship and prayer, I want to kind of open our minds to something about Jesus that is really phenomenal and might get missed sometimes. So oftentimes when we think of worship and prayer, there's really a tension, isn't there, between the formal and the informal. Between formal services of worship, like we're in today. But you can get even more formal, right? I could be wearing my robe, and, and we could be following and reading written prayers. And, and, uh, and the more formal that style of service is, the more it accentuates that. But this is a formality, isn't it? You know, after all, we know that we can worship God anywhere. But there's something special, sacred even, about worshiping in a church. But we also do know that we can worship can be something that is a part of our daily lives. We can worship and pray anywhere. And we mentioned that in our children's message, that we can take those apps and we can read the Bible and we can pray at different times during our day so our lives will be filled with worship. So which one's more important? For Jesus and his life as it is written down in the Gospels, Jesus' answer from his life is both and. And the part of Jesus' life that often gets left out is that Jesus was a churchgoer. And he came from a family for whom attendance at church was very important. You think of the Gospel of Luke and the birth narrative at the beginning of the Gospel. The Christmas story. How important the temple was. The whole story of Jesus' life starts with uh, Zechariah 
who is John the Baptist's dad, spoiler alert, but he's a priest serving the work of the temple, liturgia. And then when Jesus is born, Mary and Joseph take him according to the, in a sense, the rules for formal worship, took him to the temple where Simeon and Anna prophesied about his life. And then when he was almost a teenager, he, he got lost, quote unquote, in the temple. Like the last place his mom and dad thought to look for him was in the place of formal worship. And like any middle schooler, he let them know that they should have known that he would be right there. When he began his ministry in Luke chapter 4, how did he begin his ministry? He was in a worship service in the synagogue and he stood up and he read from the assigned scripture reading at that service of worship, the liturgy, and proclaimed from the scroll of Isaiah, this is what I'm all about. And we find out even more than that, that he continued proclaiming the message in the synagogues of Judea. Synagogues with formal worship services on the Sabbath day. And then we find in Luke 6, 6, it says, on another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. And of course, we know from our sacrament of the Lord's Supper that Jesus and his disciples observed the Passover. So these are all formal, structured elements of the Jewish religion. Jesus engaged that. And that's why Christianity incorporates Formal worship in the same line as Judaism. But Jesus also taught and lived in formal worship, day in and day out. So for Jesus, it wasn't a matter of just going to church and then living the rest of your life without God and then going back to church, etc. Jesus lived worship. He prayed by himself. The scriptures tell us that he retreated from others regularly in order to pray to God. He taught his disciples how to pray. We've already prayed his answer this morning, the Lord's Prayer. And he taught them how to persevere in prayer. And what we learn from the early church in Acts, who began to worship both formally and informally, Jesus' disciples gather at God's house for prayer and praise. They began doing that, and ever since they've continued. And we are a part of that. And in the experience, that Sabbath prayer Opened worshippers' hearts. Opened worshippers' hearts. For a congregation, worship services are foundational. For believers, attendance at formal worship services is foundational as well. Um, And yet, because they are so foundational and everyone just assumes that they will happen... It's amazing, I did, I've done some casual uh, study of church mission statements and kind of what they purpose to do. It's amazing how often worship never shows up. Everyone just assumes it. And yet, our experience over the last few years of COVID restrictions, 
forced us to reconsider just the powerful blessing it is to be able to gather together on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath, to worship. The early church established worship and prayer in the temple as a foundation of their new operation. So we go to Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, which is our theme text for the entire series, and we look at this description of the early church. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, biblical scholars uh, almost unanimously see that statement, breaking of bread, as a, an early expression of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Remember, this new church, this always blows me away, this is not years after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended in heaven. This is like that happened a couple of weeks ago. They remembered that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me at the Passover. And they continue that in the temple, in the temple courts. They, they broke bread in their homes, which scholars believe that that may have been the sacrament in their homes as well, but also reflects the fellowship that we talked about last week. And ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. This is a group of people who spent their lives praising God. We've used travel illustrations in this series to connect us to these essential aspects of the church. And the formal gatherings that we go to each week on the Sabbath day, church services, I think in some ways those planned gatherings when you go on group travel excursions. Have you ever gone on a a group travel experience? And do they... Do they just basically say, hey, you guys are all gathered here. We're going to get over to that place, maybe on the train or on a plane. And once you get there, it's a free-for-all. Be back at, uh, in 10 days at 10 a.m. Is, is that what it looks like? Well, it could, but group travel finds it meaningful to have regular check-in points. It could be, like, say, in the morning of each day. Or it could be periodically, maybe when you move from one region to another region. Those regular check-ins are so vitally important for sustaining the group on the journey. And in a similar way, worship, our regular check-ins on Sundays, or whenever our Sabbath gathering is, those are essential to continuing on the journey. It's where we connect with one another, where we make decisions, decide where we're headed. It provides us reorientation. It reminds us of the original plan when maybe we maybe got off course a little bit in the meantime. We can reflect on the travel experience afresh and share our common thoughts. In our text, we did two texts from the book of Acts featured in our scripture reading today. The one from Acts 16 that features Paul's entrance into Philippi and the person of Lydia Uh, who is one of the the main 
uh, characters in the Acts narrative. We read this text today to be reminded that, that the expansion of the church happened through worship. The mission of the church expands through worship. On the Sabbath day, on one of these regular times, we went, this is Paul and Luke, um, went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And some women were there. And one of those listening was, was Lydia, a woman who was a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. That meant that she worshiped the God of Israel. But she wasn't in a synagogue. Now, biblical scholars note that it's likely that there probably weren't enough men who were believers in Israel's God in Philippi at that time in order for them to have a synagogue. The the Jewish law said that there had to be at least 10 men in a city in order for there to be a synagogue. Didn't matter how many women were wanting to worship. You had to add 10 men. So so women would gather for worship because women who worship got to worship. Right? Amen. And, And so they went to outside the city where they could worship in peace um, by the river, and that's where Paul found them. This was on the Sabbath day. Sabbath worship was a tradition from the very beginning in the Christian church. Our Sabbath, uh, as Christians, developed into not being on Saturday as it was in the Hebrew faith, but, but on Sunday, because that was the day we commemorate Jesus rising from the dead. Lydia was a leader of that group of worshipers. And what happened to Lydia when they gathered together and worshiped together, is something that happens to all of us as we worship. God's people of prayer gather together, worshipers of God worship, and the Lord opens their hearts. The Lord opens their hearts. You know, in in church talk, of all of the things that we've talked about so far, the one that is so mired in one person's opinion about things versus another person's opinion about things is probably worship. And, you know, Rick Warren in his Purpose Driven Life, one of the things I remember from that so clearly, and I think it was a, really, a real gift to the church, is that he simply said, worship isn't about you. Everyone has preferences and believes that worship should fit, fit my needs and, and speak to me. But Rick Warren just boldly said, it's not about you. It's about God. We're here to worship God. And, and so, yes, worship has to do with us, this intersection of our lives with a relationship with God. But what happens in worship, regardless of the style, is that the Holy Spirit is at work opening our hearts to God. We come and present ourselves in worship and God starts to open up our heart that we might love God with all of our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Worship on the Sabbath day is a regular relationship reset for Christians. It's about the heart. 
It's about the heart. Like any relationship, you need time together on a regular basis to keep a relationship going, to keep it healthy, to keep it full of expressions of love. And the same is true of our relationship with God, and worship is where that happens, and prayer is where that happens. And we need it on a regular basis. Our hearts are open to a reality that we forget. Sometimes it only takes us about a half an hour after we leave the church, or maybe about five minutes after we're done praying in the morning as a part of our morning devotions. We lose sight of God in the midst of all of just the craziness of life. We lose sight of who God is, and we lose sight of who we are in God's sight. Here in Sabbath worship, in regular routine experiences of worship and prayer, we are reminded who God is and whose we are. Who we are and whose we are. And we need this on a regular basis. And that weekly rhythm functions as a refill or a recharge for us in the Christian faith. You know, I, I'm, I recall a, a member of the church that I served in Fullerton, California, Orange County, uh, and a lot of people in that church commuted great distances with really, really heavy traffic. Uh, so there was a, a man in my congregation, I uh, love this man, he, uh, he was a very, he's a very straight shooter, straight talker, uh, very practical person, businessman. Uh, when he wore a short sleeve shirt, you could see his military service printed in ink on the skin of his arms. But this man loved the Lord. And he knew how hard it was in his business. He traveled, he commuted over 100 miles to work and then back another 100 miles. Because he was transferred from one part of Southern California to the other part of Southern California. Believe me, you can chew up 100 miles in Southern California pretty easy. And he worked in a, in a business that was not a sacred place. And so I remember one time we were talking about worship, and he shared that for him, he needed to be there on Sunday. Yes, he was tired and exhausted from his work week and from his long commute, but he wouldn't miss church because that was his lifeline. That was his breath of oxygen. That was his recharge to be able to even get up on Monday morning and go back to work. He wouldn't miss it for the world. I've always remembered him for that. You know, when we travel, we want to get the most out of our travels. Some places we go are so special and we recognize that we may not pass that way again. Have you ever been in that place where your heart was open to see and recognize that? And so you're extra attentive to take it in, to really appreciate what's going on. But in the midst of that, we know that travel can can be like that, full of those moments, but travel can also be exhausting. It can wear us down, and in our fatigue, we might find ourselves unable to truly take in and appreciate what is really going on. And so intentional practices of rest, restoration, are helpful to keep us fresh on our journeys. And this is the same with worship and with prayer. 
taking the time to be regularly refreshed can make all the difference in the quality of our experience. As we look forward into our future as a church, let's remember that the quality of our life together, the quality and the depth of our relationship with God is impacted by our liturgical decisions about spending time in worship and prayer. I want to conclude with a, with a powerful dimension of worship that has, in my view, has worked in a powerful way in the life of this congregation. It's not limited to this congregation at all. But this is the center of church strategy being in the worship service itself. In Acts 13, we see a moment of commissioning. The text says, while these teachers and prophets of the early church were worshiping the Lord, they were fasting in addition to that, to really attune their hearts even that much more to God's presence. The Holy Spirit said, they heard the Holy Spirit speak. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them. This was a prayer of commissioning. As we move forward as a congregation, we, may we, continue to use our hands, the hands of those who have had hands laid on them, the elders and the pastors, to place hands on others that they might obey the call of Jesus to lead us forward. Next week, we're going to talk about how God equips the work of the church by providing those who are the servants of the mission of God. We don't have to worry about that. God provides. It is in worship that those people who are called are set aside and commissioned for their work. Think back to moments of commissioning, those inspiring moments when a mission trip that is about to depart for Honduras or Haiti or Togo or Russia or keep on going, Uganda, all of those, we have experienced that and witnessed that here. Some of us have kneeled right here and have had hands laid on our shoulders or our head and it is the setting apart in worship of our missional work in the world. It happens beyond mission. It happens in service. We do this with Stephen ministry. How many Stephen ministers have been commissioned in worship services in this church through the years? There are ordinations of pastors, of elders, and deacons. You see a photograph just from this last year in the ordination and installation of elders and deacons. There is commissioning in welcoming new members and in welcoming a confirmation class into membership in the church. There is a commissioning aspect to every time we pour the waters of baptism. This is a powerful moment that in worship links the service of God. It links the strategic work of the Holy Spirit in the world and our part in it. May we continue to live deeply in those moments of commissioning in worship.
And might I just mention, if you haven't figured this out, is that if you don't show up for worship, you miss out on that power. It's something that really happened, that changes lives. Be there. And as we move forward into our future as a congregation, be prepared to gather together at God's house for prayer and praise. And in the experience, to have your heart opened wide to God's love and his purposes. And all God's people said, amen.